Welcome to the SCU Buzz podcast. This episode features a panel discussion from the SWIFT Festival, or known as the Screenwave International Film Festival, held in Coffs Harbour every year, bringing thousands of people to the area. One of the main venues is our Southern Cross University Coffs Harbour campus. The panel discussion happened after the screening of the film Carbon, the unauthorised biography. The film focused on our carbon footprint, the future for the environment and plenty of key themes where our Southern Cross University experts talked about, including Associate Professor Christian Sanders, Environmental Analysis Laboratory Technical Manager Nadia Topler and Marine Science student Luke Austin, who has previously featured on the SCU Buzz podcast. This episode is perfect for those who want to reduce their carbon footprint but don't know how or simply want to learn more. They talk about their misuse of information going around and how our experts at Southern Cross University use their research to help change the world. Here's the panel discussion. We've got a very formidable panel here. <laughs> Please welcome them. Um, and we're going to start with the conversation, but we really want to involve you in this. I know we've got a lot of students present. Christian, maybe if we start with you, um, I'd love to get your take on how you work in the field and what, what, is, what does your work actually involve in the offset area? Sure. Yes, my work involves looking at systems around the globe that are really efficient in drawing down atmospheric CO2. So the work my colleagues and I are doing at the National Marine Science Center are you know, studying coastal wetlands. We find that coastal wetlands are really important, one of the most efficient systems in drawing down CO2 and burying them in the soils. So yeah, this feature is, I just came back from Amazon coast two days ago uh, looking for, uh, studying these systems. So as we saw in the film, the planet is really, is really efficient in self-regulating. So in the past, when once CO2 levels have increased, the photosynthetic organisms also increase, drawing down more CO2 and vice versa, so self-regulating. But what's really important is that we need to maintain these systems. And once we can find the ones that are really efficient in sequestering CO2, there are more of our forces or more of our, our funding and research can go into maintaining these systems. And what did the Amazon work involve? Um, what, what, what did you identify there? We're going down the Amazon coast, looking at the, the coastal wetlands, and trying to find some forests that have never been studied before, and to, to find out the, how well they are in sequestering and burying carbon in the soils. Because as we saw also in the film, that you know the plants themselves, they're the photosynthetic photosynthesis, but most of that carbon is buried in the soils. So over time, that can accumulate. And what we see in the coastal wetlands is uh, once that carbon is deposited and, uh, is, is, uh, and is because of the sea level is rising, that carbon is being maintained and not being exposed to oxygen, not as readily as we see more terrestrial type systems. So the fact that we have tides coming in and out and lots of rain in areas such as Amazon rainforest, that, that uh, the, the oxygen within the atmosphere doesn't so readily reach the organic material that's deposited and less oxidation occurs and we see accumulation over time. And that's what we're really looking for, systems that can accumulate carbon over time and bury them within their sediments. And, and how, Nadia, maybe it's a, that's a good lifting off point to you. How, how do you then take the work that Christian does into the lab? And can you talk us through the, the correlation there? 
Yeah, sure. Christian has just been talking about um, sinks that we're wanting to maintain over time. So the work that we're doing in the lab might involve some of the analysis of um, carbon within the soil, both for those sorts of sinks, but also to look what we can, at what we can do over time ourselves, because we're not only looking to preserve the natural sinks, but also continue to live as we do. So for uh, land managers, for example, as part of the Emission Reduction Fund work, uh, we're looking at uh, having land managers take samples in the field in a very strategic way and then assess that carbon stock within the soil so that over time we can see what happens when land managers change the processes they do in those agricultural settings to try and increase uh, carbon sequestration within the soil. So as part of this work for carbon credits, after a period of time, whether it's you know, one to three years, say, we have land managers go back out again, take further samples and quantify the amount of carbon that they have sequestered in their soils. It's part of that, our economy really, and looking at carbon credits as a source of income for the agricultural um, parts of our community uh, as another way of investing um, in their farms, but most importantly in this setting as we're discussing, looking at increasing the amount of carbon sequestered in the soil, taking it out of the atmosphere. And, and what's some sort of local examples of some work that, that you're undertaking, um, Christian? Yeah, some local work we're doing here in the Coffs Harbour region, looking at you know, the importance of the coastal wetlands here and trying to maintain those because not only do they sequester carbon, they also can sequester some of the nutrient runoff that we're finding in this region. So the, the really important role these wetlands play in terms of filtering out carbon and, and nutrients as well, not allowing them to go out to our oceans. And a film like this, um, with the way it sparks curiosity, um, you know, different to other necessary documentaries that, that you know, really amplify the alarm and, and the need for immediate action. But um, with a treatment like this that, that sort of invites you to, in such a way as well, what's your take on that and sort of the way this conversation is invited by, by a film like, like we've just seen? Yeah, I think it's very nice. It can have lots of different perspectives on the carbon cycle, you know, where the carbon comes from and how it's an important part of our life. And how, and what I thought what was really nice, the way that they discussed in terms of how, as I mentioned, the planet can kind of regulate itself. And how we saw, you know, the last 15 million years, the, the, CO, the CO2 within our atmosphere has not really changed that much. It's pretty, pretty consistent over time. And though, even though there's, it's not very much, it's 0.4% uh, of, of the composition of the gases in our atmosphere. But because of the, the self-regulating uh, the way the Earth can act in terms of drawing down CO2 if it increases, and um, um, in releasing CO2 once it, you know the climate cools down, so it's kind of a self-regulating um, component and really important part of our planet Earth. And Luke, I'll bring you in here at the moment. Um, you're studying in an university here. Can you tell us what is the attraction for you to, to take these studies in the first place? But um, kind of what are you drawing um, in your studies that that you know you hope to take into field work or into labs in future? Um, so I think, you know, just growing up, um, especially growing up regionally in Coffs Harbour, um, I obviously had a pretty deep connection to um, the coast, the ocean, um, also the forest that we have um, just behind us here in Coffs Harbour. Lots of opportunities to get involved. Um, and like they were saying um, in, the, in the documentary, um, you know, carbon plays such an important role 
um, as you would have learnt if you weren't already aware um, in, in everything um, and, and the natural world is no exception. Um, so being able to go on and study that to then make a career out of it, um, it means that I can study and learn more about these things that really um, interest me because I, you know, in school I wanted to go on and, and really choose a career and a study path that interested me every day um, and and that's the sort of pathway I found. Um, carbon is a focus in pretty much every unit, um, especially the, the sort of first year when you're sort of learning the, the foundations, um, just like the um, documentary did, uh, outlined, in it, and it did really well, that narrative about the carbon cycle. Um, it looks at it from different perspectives, um, but it's something that's covered um, really heavily, and that's because it has really large links, I, I think, to um, outside of university. So when you then go on um, um, different careers, carbon is talked about more and more um, every day. And I think that um, being able to understand the carbon cycle, how it works, and then um, as you go on, um, so I'm in my third year of study now, we start to move from understanding that carbon cycle to looking at um, the different impacts that it has. So we looked at things like um, rising global mean temperatures, sea level rise, the different um, other things that are associated with um, carbon. Being able to um, look at potentially identifying um, areas of concern is something that's, been, that's happening right now, so the Great Barrier Reef for example, um, looking at different ways that we can, um, obviously we can't turn off all the coal fire power stations today, so looking at some things can't hold out until um, until then, the Great Barrier Reef, for example, they were talking about we've lost 50% of the Great Barrier Reef already. So there are different um, parts um, through the degree that we learn about um, different ways that in the interim we can find solutions to alleviate the impact as well. So that's something that I'm really interested in. Um, and I think that that's what brought me on to um, looking at seaweed aquaculture. Um, for those that don't know, seaweed, um, so marine algae um, can, can do a really good job of actually, uh, as a carbon sink, they can actually grab that carbon out of the atmosphere. And they can do it uh, in, in a better way than what terrestrial plants can in many cases. Uh, we have a really large ocean space, so there's massive potential there um, to scale up that um, process. It's an industry that's really in its infancy at the moment, but um, I see a massive potential there. Um, and I am someone that um, I think really enjoys exploring more of the natural sort of options, um, like Christian um, was talking about, particularly um, the natural ecosystems around how we can um, support them to do the roles that they, and those natural processes, um, more so than the carbon capture technology. Through university studies, you get a really good opportunity to link some of these things that you're learning um, at a bit of an intersection with what the world needs and what's important when we finish. So um, the, the combi is a prime example of that. Um, you know, you're studying engineering, you're studying those systems, but um, when you when you finish, you're looking to solve some of the great problems. And after watching that film, transport, particularly in regional um, Australia, is a challenge. And um, as we sort of try and progress to more sustainable um, solutions, um, looking at something like that is very valuable, I guess, as, as a student um, preparing yourself for that next sort of step. Another example, um, if I could add in, so in, in sort of my studies, I'm working um, with a PhD student through the university 
um, looking at the Reef Restoration Adaption Program, which is a really large program, but then it's looking at um, the different ways we can, as I said before, alleviate the impacts um, in different areas on the reef, as we can't just stop climate change um, today, but how we can slow down the impacts um, while we buy ourselves some time. And that's given me an opportunity to um, jump into some real sort of um, applied sort of science and um, sort of work integrated learning through my degree as well and learning some of the skills that are going to be really important for me when I, when I finish and I'm trying to go out and actually make that difference as well. And, you know, we, we saw um, in, in the film and, you know, we've lived at, um, and I know you're from Lismore, Naya, but the, the extreme weather events that we are experiencing, is there an avenue in, in, in these moments and, and in the local community particularly that, that helps in, in your research, Christian? Yeah, so, sure. It's, you know, one of the things about a lot of this flooding is directly related to climate change as we see now. But there's also um, important systems, not only because of the flooding themselves, you know, the, because of uh, uh, the floods, but also lots of erosion taking place of what we've seen you know, in these areas that were flooded. So there's um, lots of uh, interest now in going back and replanting some riparian forests along these, these creeks and rivers, which would prevent some of these, uh, the erosion taking place in places like Lismore. And, and Nadia, can you give us a sense of the timelines of, of going back to look at the impact um, that this work is having and you know, how often that, that you can check back to then build this important data that you know, is used in, in so many important ways? I guess it depends on what the focus is. So for the work that um, Christian's talking about, you may, you may have some baseline data there, you may not. So you might, as you build the soil, you may and, and start to regenerate, take samples then for analysis. But you'd be looking to come back three to five years' time, but much longer than that as well. So we're sort of in our infancy in a way with carbon monitoring programs. The, the, the documentary here was giving us an indication that these are really long time frames that we're looking at. But we can, if we're using really good methods that are consistent, that are used in every single laboratory, um, in the same way, we can start to get baseline data, and Christian's been doing that for many years, and then build on that, whether it's a few years' time for carbon, monitor, uh, carbon credit systems, um, or whether it's on the longer scale. So uh, we hope to see over extended periods that we get sequestration, but it does take time. And with community, there, there is so much of a conversation happening now more than ever in the groundswell, particularly in election campaigns. And there's so much focus on the cost of changing, you know, existing patterns of a coal plant or something different and the cost of building it. Can we get into that a little bit and just um, unpack that? Um, because that, that's kind of often a, it's going to cost too much to, to change. What's your take on, on that? Yeah. No, um, I think, you know, one of the major issues is having false information out there in terms of, I mean, we can do all the science and get some, you know, find some really interesting results, but that, that that's not, doesn't, doesn't reflect in the political, you know, arena, and then it's just really difficult to get things done. And in terms of, you know, looking at these, these global conferences and so forth, all these commitments to, to net zero um, emissions. So I think in a lot of that's this is a result of a lot of misinformation that's, that's out there these days. So I think that's probably the major issue right now. Yeah, look, misinformation, um, I agree, is something that's a real challenge. Um, it's 
quite hard to fix. I think the times have changed, um, especially now when we've got so many different ways when we can deliver information to each other, you know, whether it be Facebook or Instagram, um, online news you can look at on your phone. Um, it's, it's so much easier for someone that um, might not necessarily be an expert in that area to distribute information um, that they believe to be the truth when it may not um, you know, be entirely true. Um, so that definitely plays a massive role as, as a bit of a roadblock. But when you talk about the costs, I think um, something that resonates with me is this idea of um, how much uh, is it going to cost us now to, um, to act, how much is it going to cost us later if we don't. Um, and there's all sorts of different forecasts that you can look at um, that will say um, by 2050 um, climate um, disasters in Australia will cost us three times um, what they do today. Um, so that's a really big cost that um, we could now take and invest um, you know, to, to stop that from happening. But then there's also scepticism still. Some of it's in part due to the misinformation, but at what level do we put forward to make that investment um, to ensure that we're not out of pocket later? There is a lot of um, hesitancy about, well, what difference can I personally do? Um, have you got any tips, sort of, <laughs> people who may be thinking the same thing? Yes, I was thinking about that exactly with that question. Um, we, can't, we can't be waiting for politics um, and, and those large-scale changes. Of course, they make big impacts, uh, and we already know that a, a large majority of Australians believe that we should be making changes uh, towards 2050 and our um, reduction in carbon emissions. But we don't have to wait for politics because we're all, all of us within the country are made up of individuals. So I feel like there are things that we can be doing every single day to make changes within ourselves, which, as we talk to the people around us, hopefully start to make changes with the way we think about what we're doing. Is it big scale changes within our personal lives? Can I afford an electric car? Or is it those small things that we do every single day? For example, um, the compost, are we going to send that, put it into our garbage bin, send it to landfill, which is going to lead to higher emissions, or are we going to reuse that within our own gardens? A bit in the field, I grew up on a boat. It wasn't that easy to go and get milk uh, if you ran out of milk. I still do the same thing if I run out of milk for breakfast the next day, I don't go down to the shops to pick up that one thing. I think about, well, I'll have toast tomorrow and I'll pick it up on my way home from work. So they're little things that we do on a daily basis. If we're all doing those things, if we're all affecting change, then we see change in society as a whole. We choose our politicians, each and individually, each one of us, and we need to have enough people making decisions in the same way to get that political change as well, if we get the governments that we vote for. Can you talk us through a typical day? <laughs> like, what, what, um, how do you keep optimistic? What does is, what is a good day feel like for you at work? Maybe, Christian, you can start. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, coming from a scientific perspective, there's a lot of opportunities to do, to do research in this, this area. So often when we go out to do field work and laboratory work and so forth, often we, you know, we, we start off with one question and another question arises as, as we're, we're doing our research. So um, I'm very you know, optimistic in terms of discovering new things and um, going to interesting places. 
And a lot of the studies that we do at the Marine Center are directly related to the carbon cycle and the climate change. And so it's just um, interesting to be able to discover um, new research areas and, and discover new things. And that kind of keeps me motivated in terms of how we can see how nature itself is so resilient um, in terms of, of what we think, you know, we might, certain destructions might be taking place around the globe, but nature is pretty resilient. And I think it can you know, rebound from this if we allow it to. And of course, if we change our ways of, 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 uh, of living and, and our, our energy sources, of which I think is, is starting to take hold um, in terms of looking at these renewable resources and, and so forth for energy sources, as we saw in the film, some of those examples we saw there. And also, you know, the, the role nature plays with that as well, how the, the combination of the two, I feel optimistic about um, how things are gonna go. Yeah, a, a good day for me um, as the lab manager, whether it was as a lab manager or when I began doing work in the lab is seeing good quality, solid data going out every single day uh, to help inform the research done by Christian or to ensure that land management, whether it's agricultural, urban settings, road renewals and so on, is all based on good quality information that will inform best practice in uh, environmental management. To me, that's, that's a pretty good day. And that's something we're very fortunate here at the Southern Cross University to have such, you know, the labs that we can really feel confident about the results that we're getting. So not only is it important to go do the field work, take samples and, and interpret the data, but if we don't have reliable data, it's difficult to do that. So we're very fortunate to have a EAL within our campus. From this, you know, um, what, what are some tips you've got for people um, who may be wondering what else they can be doing? Do you, do you want to pick that one up, Christian? Sure. I mean, yeah, in terms of yeah, getting out there and, and, and I'm looking into the facts, what is what is actually important and what is what is real and what is misinformation so i think um, being able to inform ourselves what's actually taking place looking at the science looking at the things we can do and then kind of take that all, all the way on through to to voting and luke just i think for me um just being willing to accept change so we've obviously established that we have got a problem um, and we're not going to solve the problem by doing the same things every day so I think, um, you know, making, taking those steps to stamp out misinformation when it, when it pops up, make sure you have got your facts right, um, and be willing when opportunities come up. You know, it might not be going out and buying an electric car this afternoon, but it might just be the more simple things. Um, be willing to go with that change. Um, you've got not really much, much to lose um, as far as I see it. So, um, you know, just be willing to, to take that journey. Absolutely. Well, look, thank you so much. It's a really interesting and um, an exciting area. Um, and it's so good to hear just, you know, from local experts who's, you know, got the feet on the ground um, doing, doing work here. So I want to thank Christian, Luke and Nadia. Um, and thank you for, for coming along. All the best. Thank you very much.